Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. My name is Heather Hansen O'Neill, and I am your host. Today's quote of the day is by Agmandino, and it is, a smile remains the most inexpensive gift I can bestow on anyone, and yet its powers can vanquish kingdoms. We have an amazing guest for you today, Dr. Mark Goulston, and he is the creator of Design Thinking, Leadership Coaching, and Training, and the best-selling author or co-author of eight books. In his most recent book, Why Cope When You Can Heal, he formally introduces the process of surgical empathy, which he developed as a former FBI hostage negotiation trainer, psychiatrist, focusing on suicide prevention, where for over over 30 years, none of his patients died by suicide. His book, Just Listen, translated into 26 languages, became the top book on listening in the world. He's also the host of the highly ranked My Wake Up Call podcast and of the LinkedIn live stream show, No Strings Attached. I am so excited to introduce you to Mark. Welcome, Mark. How are you? How can I live up to that, Heather? <laughs> you already have, my dear. <laughs> Who are you talking about? Oh, I know. Isn't it fun here in a bio? No, I'm just, and I left stuff out, folks. Check out the show notes for more about Mark. He's amazing and so generous with his information and his energy, just looking to help and to serve. I I am dying to ask you a really deep question. So I'll step back from that first and just say, is there anything else that you'd like to share with people about how you got to where you are before I go into the good stuff? <laughs> well, I like to give tips right out of the bat that people okay. can use. And uh, my book, Just Listen, as you mentioned, did pretty well around the world. And last year I spoke in Moscow and headlined with a fellow named Daniel Kahneman. He wrote the uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. He won the Nobel Prize. And it was the latest in my thinking at that time about communication. And what I said to the audience, people are listening to, you will have a transactional conversation and they will give you their mind if you're engaging. But if you focus on what they're listening for and you get it, and you deliver, they'll give you everything. So I like to demonstrate it. So here's the difference between you listening to me and my focusing on what you're listening for. So if you're listening to me, you know, uh, it was wonderful. That was, that was an, an incredible introduction and we can check boxes and we can cover things. And what do you think about this, Dr. Goulston? And that'll be fine. And if I'm engaging and, you know, not too tangential, which I can't guarantee, uh, it'll, it'll go well. But if I focus on what you're listening for, tell me how it feels different for you. So this is what I think you're listening for. I think the trust of your audience is a calling for you. Mm -hmm. And you want to do everything to honor that trust and not disappoint them. And you want to give them valuable tips and advice that they can use immediately you want to also protect them from experts who have great books, but you can't post the episode because they were so awful in it. <laughs> Is any of that accurate? 
You know, I, you know, those listeners out there, I did not mention any of this to Mark and he's spot on. That was amazing. And what a great shift right, right out of the gate. What are you listening for? Not to. That's just one word shift can make all the difference, can it? Oh, That's yeah. And when, and when you do that, see, and you mentioned surgical empathy, mm -hmm. which is the name I gave the approach I used with suicidal patients, because I realized that if I focused on what they were listening to, they weren't listening to anything because they were just stuck alone in hopelessness. Mm. What they were listening for was someone to join them in the hopelessness and so they could feel felt because if they could feel less alone in their personal hell, they would start to cry. And so I found a way to go into the hopelessness abscess in the dark night of the soul. And when they felt that I was right next to them, understanding and maybe even feeling that I would be suicidal if I had to deal with what they were dealing with, mm. they would they would look at me and say, so you don't think I'm weak or crazy? I'll tell you one thing, it's going to get me a little emotional. Uh, there was one person uh, and he didn't say it specifically, but I said, uh, uh, so why haven't you done it? And he said, what? He said, why haven't you killed yourself? He said, what? Uh, I, sa I said, look, I have just tasted the tip of the iceberg of your life. And it is so painful that if I felt the entire iceberg, and if I was you, I would have already killed myself. And I'm pretty strong, but I'm not as strong as you. And he looked at me, he said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You don't think I'm weak? I'm not going to repeat this. Uh, you're stronger than me. I just got to I just felt a little bit of what you've been through in life. And I don't think I could have handled it. And then he repeated. So you don't think I'm weak or crazy? I said, well, the second thing we might have to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is what it got me emotional. I said, why haven't you killed yourself? And he said, because I've been waiting to meet you. Oh, Mark. Wow. You know, and what you said, it's, I think everyone just wants to be heard. They just want to know that, that someone out there understands them. What a beautiful connection you made. Yeah, and, and I can see you collect quotes. So here's one that you know, goes along with Why Cope When You Can Heal, the book that uh, we just released. Having horror heard helps heal hurt. Oh, okay. I'm going to ask you to repeat that one more time because it's really good. Having horror heard helps heal hurt. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. So see, our whole approach in Why Cope When You Can Heal is, and it's focused on healthcare workers, but it will work with veterans. It's perfectly applicable or anyone who's been through awful trauma. And what we talk about is when you've been through awful trauma, like healthcare workers are going through and we see them on the television every day, breaking down and crying and not being protected. 
what happens after you see these traumatic situations, you go through what we call the horror, terror, fragile trifecta. Mm -hmm. So you're horrified. Uh, you go back home to stay in your garage to protect your family. You're terrified. You feel fragile, but you're duty bound. And mm -hmm. so what you say to yourself is, I can't panic. And so what happens is because of the danger, adrenaline comes in, just like it does with NBA players who can play on a broken leg. The adrenaline comes in and that enables you to push away the thoughts and repress the feelings mm. into your unconscious. And then what happens, and this happens with veterans, when they come back from active duty, why are they so suicidal? It's because when the danger goes away, the adrenaline insulation goes away. Mm -hmm. When the insulation goes away, all the thoughts you didn't dare think and feelings you didn't dare feel because you had to survive, feel like they wanna come up and rip you apart and so you keep a lid on them and surgical empathy, which we outline in Why Coping You Can Heal, is a way of letting it out safely. So the metaphor we use is imagine if you're confronting something horrific and terrifying. It's like, imagine you have a cat in your head that just started screaming like a feral cat and you lock it up in the cellar because you got a function. Then you lock up a second cat, then 10 cats, then a hundred cats, uh, because you have to function. And then when the danger goes away, all those cats are screaming to be let out. And you're afraid if I open the cellar door just a little bit, they're all gonna rush and they're going to eviscerate me. Mm -hmm. so surgical empathy is a way of going in and helping people to safely think and feel what they weren't able to do when they were busy surviving. Wow, that sounds incredibly powerful. And for those of you listening, if you're driving, we'll put this information in the show notes, but the book that that is, is Why Cope When You Can Heal, that surgical empathy is within and all of this information. You know, I do wanna ask you, Dr. Goldstein, you've been a psychiatrist for more than 40 years. And for 25 of them, you've had this focus on suicide prevention. And I've heard that you were merely paying forward what someone did for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I guess I've accomplished a few things, <clears throat> but my greatest personal accomplishment you know, beyond the wife and kids and we're not divorced and the kids are doing pretty well. And I'm a grandpa and I, that's a whole other interview. Uh, <laughs> but I think my greatest personal accomplishment is I dropped out of medical school twice and finished. And I dropped out because I think I had untreated depression. And the second time I dropped out and I was fortunate, I somehow wasn't failing they wanted to kick me out because they were losing matching funds. Whenever someone takes a leave of absence, they lose matching funds. So the dean of the school met with me. I don't even remember it because I was that low. And he referred me to the dean of students probably because he knew they were going to ask me to withdraw, which is a euphemism for being kicked out. And mm -hmm. I think the dean of the school intuited, I, you know, we're going to kick him out. We don't want him to kill himself. 
So I came from a background where you're only worth what you do. That's not that unusual, you know, depression age parents and your worth is tied to totally what you do. And a lot of people still feel that way. So imagine this, I go in there and there's the Dean of Students. He reads me the note from the Dean of the school and the note says, have met with Mr. Goulston, talked about an alternate career and I'm advising the promotions committee uh, that he be asked to withdraw. And I'm, I'm a little bit confused at that state. And the Dean of Student, uh, I ask him, what does this mean? And he says, Mark, you've been kicked out. And it was like a gunshot wound. And I know what that's like, because I had a perforated colon that I almost died from about 15 years ago. And I just, I kind of doubled over. And I'm not religious, but I felt something wet on my cheekbones and I thought I was bleeding. I thought my eyes were bleeding and I touched my cheekbones and of course it was tears. So imagine hearing this and I'm not even the right religion, but I've come to believe that Dean McNary, the Dean of Students was an actual angel, an actual angel. So he says to me, you know, Mark, you didn't screw up because you're passing uh, everything miraculously, but you are screwed up. But if you got but if you got unscrewed up, I think the school would be glad they gave you a second chance. And so I just start crying because what is he saying? You know, why would they want to give me a second chance? I'm 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 a loser. I'm lost. And then here's what he said. So try to take this in, Heather. He said, and even if you don't get unscrewed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do another thing the rest of your life, I'd be proud to know you. Because uh. You have a streak of goodness in you that we don't grade in medical school. And you have no idea how much the world needs that goodness. And you're not going to know it till you're 35, but you have to make it till you're 35. And then he said, look at me. Because I was just sobbing. He said, look at me. He said, you deserve to be on this planet and you're going to let me help you. If he had said, if I can help you, give me a call. I probably would have gone back to my apartment and I probably wouldn't be here today. So what happened is he reached in, saw a future for me that I didn't see, saw value in me that I didn't feel I had. And, and plus he went to bat for me against the medical school. He was just a PhD. And so that combination of seeing value, of feeling that pain, and then, and then going to bat for me, grabbing me by the nape of the neck and saying, you're not going anywhere. And so I just paid it forward for, 30 years with my suicidal patients. Wow. And there's such, such a ripple effect. Like you, you're living it, but then think of all of the patients that you have touched that you were the angel for and what they then went out and did and who they touched. I mean, it's mind boggling to even think about the impact of that on the world. It's incredible. Well, you know, and that's why I, I, I'll tell you, I, you know, I have a sense of urgency because um, and when I, uh, I'm fortunate. I'm not fortunate that I'm getting older, but I'm fortunate because somehow the world, I'm an outlier. And so somehow the world has discovered me and wants to find out more. Uh, you know, I, I have a direct email contact with the presidents and chancellors of some of the colleges that have high suicide rates. And this is before COVID. And what they do is they think I have something and they refer me to their mental health clinics, you know, because they're the CEO. 
And, and of course, those clinics will take my call because it's from the CEO or the chancellor or the president. And they say, we've got it covered. We've got all kinds of programs. Uh, so we don't need anything new. I said, well, I think my track record might be a little bit better than yours. And I'm not, try I'm not trying to replace anything. I just want to. And they said, no, 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 we have it handled. And then they do a search for me and they say, you're pretty connected, Dr. Goldstein. Can you get us funding? <laughs> and so I, I say, uh, here's something else that I find really ironic is, so everything I know is experience-based. And researchers in depression and suicide over the years have sent me their kids. And I said, would you uh, like to know my approach? Or maybe we can figure out what the heck I'm doing and we can systematize it. And they said, no, if it's not evidence-based and you don't have a control group, uh, you know, we're not that interested. And I said, well, why do you send me your kid? They said, well, you know, you have this reputation, you know, you know, people don't kill themselves and we're worried about our kid. So, so, so I just say, okay, send me your kid. <laughs> it's so funny how people think sometimes. <laughs> you know, you have, I, I've heard about, I, I have not yet seen it, but I want to, you have a documentary that you co-created and moderated called Stay Alive, an intimate conversation about suicide prevention. Tell me why, like what made you do it and why I need to watch it right this weekend. Is listening can find it for free at truly, T-R-U-L-I, T-R-U-L-I.com. And if you, if you do a search, truly.com stay alive, it's an interview with Kevin Hines, the fellow who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived, and he's pretty well known, and he saved a lot of lives, and a Japanese pop singer named Reiko, and she's an advocate for suicide prevention, and uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of glitz on it, but, but if you've been touched by suicide or you're worried about someone in your family, uh, it'll ring true, and there is a haunting, I what I would like to get is the music video, so if you there's an accompanying music video for Stay Alive that every time I watch it, now maybe I, you know, I'm subjective, but it just, it just hits me right in, I, just even remembering it, it, it's just haunting. I would love people to hear the music and maybe uh, see the documentary. I'm also in another documentary that I wanna call people's attention to. A friend of mine, well, he became a friend, Jason Reed is a serial entrepreneur and two years ago, his 14 year old son killed himself and his son left two suicide notes. One was the passcode to his computer. And when Jason looked on the computer, he'd been, his son was looking for ways to kill himself for two years. And the other note said, tell my story. So Jay, uh, cre uh, Jay created a documentary called Tell My Story. You can, you can find that at ChooseLife.org. And I'm in the last five or 10 minutes, uh, you know, he interviews me for that. If you look up teen mental health webinar on YouTube, mm -hmm. uh, he created a Goalcast video. Uh, and on Goalcast, his video has 9 million views. And he talks to uh, about a dozen male entrepreneurs about how he blew it, how he's to blame. And what he pointed out to them, and it's riveting, is, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. 
Uh, I'm supposed to be a problem solver. I'm not supposed to show weakness or fear uh, to my family. You know, they're supposed to look to me. And he basically said, I made it impossible for my son to relate to me. And, 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 and when he talked to these founders, you know, none of them talk about their vulnerability. And so if you go to team mental health webinar, the first nine minutes is that video. And then the next 30 minutes is he turns it over to me to this is if you're a parent and you're worried about your kid, this is how you get them to open up. Yeah, it's it. I actually have seen that. I watched it. It's very, very good. I highly recommend people take a look at that. You know what? I'll put a link to that as well into the show notes if you don't mind, Dr. Goldston. Um, you have a book called Talking to Crazy, which I just, I love the title of, but it's not about mental illness. It's about how to deal with people who drive you crazy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm going to get, I'll give you and your listeners in a minute, a whole course on marketing 101. There is a term called mental real estate. And a friend of mine who designed Disney Paris and Disney Tokyo, Tony Baxter, he shared the term with me and he said, Pirates of the Caribbean owns the word pirates in the minds of kids. So Disney owns pirates. And he says, when you come up with something that's familiar and then you twist it, when it's familiar, people lean into it. And so you get in, they lower their guard, but then when you repurpose it, you get more mental real estate. So Pirates of the Caribbean has a lot of mental real estate. So when I said to people, I was writing a book called Talking to Crazy, my entrepreneur friend said, I need that book today. <laughs> and, 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 and I said, why? They say, I do that all day. And then they say, do you have a chapter if the person you're talking to is yourself, the crazy person? The person? <laughs> I said, oh yeah, we have chapters of that. But here is the lesson on mental real estate. So Talking to Crazy, had pretty good mental real estate. But one of the reasons they brought me over to Russia to talk along with a Nobel Prize winner, I said, why are you having me come over? I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a, currently a professor. I'm not a researcher. He, he won the Nobel Prize. And they said, doctor, his book did not go viral. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? The Russian edition of Talking to Crazy is how to talk with a-holes and it went viral across Russia. So that's mental real estate. I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so for, for those people out there right now who are thinking, you know, give me one tip uh, it, because I've got to go have a conversation with somebody who's nuts right now. So can you, can you give us one tip? Well, here's something it's in uh, talking to crazy. I think it may even be in why cope when you can heal. And here's a little mental real estate. It's called the FUD crud technique. Mm -hmm. And why that? Because people remember what the heck is FUD crud. And so imagine someone's venting or someone's sullen and they're trying to manipulate you into feeling guilty or getting out of something. So know who those people are. Don't expect them to not do it. If they don't do it, that's gravy. But if they do do it, have this as a tool because they're expecting to guilt you in some way or get you to back off. So when they do it or they vent, you pause for three seconds because you want to communicate that it didn't work this time. Mm. 
And then you say to them, this is the FUD crud, you say, you, say, you seem frustrated and I think you're holding back. They're gonna go, what? And everybody will talk about being frustrated. And then you say, yeah, you seem frustrated and I think you're holding back because I think you're also upset and disappointed. So can you fill me in on all of those, see what we can do? Mm. So it's, it's very disarming. If you say to someone, uh, you're upset, they, they get defense, I'm not upset. Or if you say you're angry, but everybody will talk about being frustrated about something. That's a good point. Yes. You hear people talk about what they're frustrated about all day long. Yeah, and, and here's the key, the way to use the FUD, uh, so there's a little bit of surgical empathy there. So when they start talking about what they're frustrated about, uh, focus on when they use hyperbole, like awful, terrible, or they raise their voice. Mm -hmm. When they finish saying that, say, you say to them, say more about the horrible. Say more about the awful. So they're expecting you again to get defensive or shush them, but what you're doing is you're inviting them to punch themselves out. And then you do the same thing when you say, and I'm guessing you're also upset. I mean, from the way you sound, if I was you, I'd be upset. What's that about? And you do the same thing. Say more about that. And, and then what happens is when you feel them getting stuff off your chest, but because you're not defensive, because you, you understand what you're doing, it's going over your shoulder, not between the eyes. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is by the time you say, and I'm guessing you're disappointed, maybe in me, maybe that the situation is happening again, maybe in yourself. So talk to me about that. But as you move in that direction, there's a much better chance of having a reasonable conversation. Yeah, because you've already disarmed them. I love that. That's a great tip. Thank you, Mark. Well, you're going to be a FUD crud practitioner, I can tell. <laughs> I just may. In, in, fact, in fact, Heather, I already am hearing the person you're going to use it with in your head, but let's not reveal that. <laughs> well, we already know you can read my mind from your opening statement. <laughs> now, okay. you know, I do have another question. There was something that we were chatting about that you discovered that you didn't like about yourself. And I thought it might be really interesting. You were, it's about the trial. The trial... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I uh, was an advisor in the O.J. Simpson trial, and I advised the prosecution, and, uh, and they kept me out. They said, your stuff is so off the wall, and we want to keep you out of our strategy sessions because you, you just have a... And so I, I faxed them 250 pages, but because <laughs> I don't think I'm an opportunity... I could have turned it into a book, the 250 pages, but you know, I, I never did that. It just seemed unseemly because to me two people got murdered mm -hmm. and then what happened is when the not guilty verdict came in uh like many white people i thought what a terrible injustice uh, you know the law is stacked against us you can't get a fair trial and then i put myself into the shoes of my african-american friends especially my black male friends and i went up to them and i said this feels awful you know, that you can't get a break and justice is stacked against you. And I said to them, have you ever felt that way? And each of them looked at me and they stared me right in the eye, right into my soul. And they said, that's all I felt. It's never been any different. And then I looked at them 
And I said, why didn't you tell me it was so bad? You were friends. And they stared right back at me and they said, because you didn't effing want to know. Mm. And they were right. It was convenient. And they were my friends. So after that, uh, I am committed now to helping women, uh, African-Americans, Hispanics, anybody who's been marginalized anywhere. If you're talented and hardworking and you're not going to play the victim card, I will do everything I can to help you get your shot. I was the white co-host of an urban black radio show that's still going. Uh, I think it's on Mondays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific time, the Zoe What Morning Show, and I'm a mentor to, uh, to Zoe Williams, and I was a white co-host because I just, they're so, they're amongst the most talented, smart people of any race that I know, and I just wanted to give them their shot. You know, that must have been such an incredible experience. It's always, for me, I love um, the ability to recognize that I don't know everything, <laughs> to just be able to absorb and learn and constantly be a sponge because of, you know, we need to take in different perspectives and we just don't know. We don't know. And so what that must have been an amazing experience for you and for them to be with you. Yeah, in, fa in fact, I got to tell you this. Uh, so he, he often has these uh, black comedians, Jeff Brown and Corey Holcomb. And Jeff Brown, and they're just smart and they don't suffer fools gladly. <laughs> I remember there was one episode where Jeff Brown says, uh, uh, you know, Doc, after meeting you, I'm going to have to change the way I think about white people. <laughs> and I said, I said, Jeff, Jeff, don't rush to do that because white people don't like me either. <laughs> That's fabulous. <laughs> That's great. You know, I know that there are a ton of listeners out there that really want to know how they can learn more about you. Can you share your website or I think you have a, a free copy of a book for us as well, don't you? Yes. Uh, so, um, well, let me give you, so markgoulston.com, uh, you know, I have bloggeria. I, I, I blog, therefore I am. So you can find <laughs> my latest blogging at markgoulston.com, G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. Also, whycopewhenyoucanheal.com is a great website and you'll find all kinds of things connected to that book. Uh, or My Wake Up Call is a podcast, Wake Up is One Word. And then also uh, uh, I have a LinkedIn weekly live show that will be debuting soon. We're sending out teasers called No Strings Attached where guests like Heather will come on and they're gonna give away stuff with nothing you have to do. It's yours. I love to give away stuff. I it's love It's yours it. for the taking. You don't have to pay her. You don't have to give her credit. <laughs> She's just gonna give it away to you. Perfect. And, and so something I uh, also you can get because uh, I wanted to, offer this to Heather's uh, listeners. So, so I, my first book was Get Out of Your Own Way. And this could be another show because for 25 years, I've been getting letters from inmates and prisoners because the book found its way into jails and prisons. And I actually did a podcast for a year called Prison Letters, where I would just read the letters and I'd try to drill in what's going on in this person's head. Uh, and, and it's still an evergreen book. Uh, and they just published that one in Russian as a bestseller. But there was a sequel called Get Out of Your Own Way at Work, which way back then, you know, the marketing fell through the 
uh, cracks. So uh, I own it and I give it away and I'm giving it away to you. And here's the way to use it, by the way. Uh, the chapters are all three or four page things that most people can identify with. Uh, procrastinating, not delegating, uh, getting angry, making things worse. And one of the things that you can do in your company, no strings attached, is you can get this book for free. And you have, and this is great for COVID, <clears throat> by the way. You say, I'd like to form subgroups of people self-identifying their self-defeating behavior. And I want you to meet on Zoom once a week hold each other accountable and let's see if we can get better uh, because if I, the most costly self-defeating behavior, you form a subgroup inside your company uh, because some people, you know, to teach a whole company time management, there's some people say, I, you know, I'm great with time management. You know, you know, my problem is I don't learn from my mistakes. <laughs> I keep making them. So, so you have people self-identify, you form subgroups, you encourage them once a week to hold each other accountable, don't beat up on each other. And it's, uh, it, companies and organizations that have used it, they say it's really transformed our culture mm -hmm. and people are actually finding and making friends for life. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Okay, so we're going to make sure that all of you listeners out there have links to all of these great resources that the incredibly generous Dr. Mark Golston has supplied us with, along with all of his insights. But no, I am going to ask you for a little more. What is your main um, burning thing that you want to leave people with today? What do you want them to remember to go forth and take action on? So a friend of mine who you should have on the show is Dr. Shawnee Duperon. And I think she, she's the founder of Project Forgive. I, I think that was nominated for a, a Nobel Prize. And she shared with me the best quote. I collect quotes and I have some doozies that have stood the test of time for 30 years but the quote she shared with me knocked them all off the table. Forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. Oh, oh I like that. I did that with my father who died 25 years ago. And I realized he would say something to my brothers and me like, uh, what do you need it for if we wanted something? Mm -hmm. and, and in my mind, the apology that I imagined that he would want to give, but he never did was, you know, I was always worried about money and I would have liked to have give all of you, not just what you needed, but what you wanted, but I was always worried. And I wanted to convince myself that I gave you all what you needed because I was proud and I wanted to feel as good as the dad next door. And if he had said that, I would have said, you work hard, you know, we see what you do to provide for us. No, that's fine. But he never apologized. And when, when I said that, I apologized to him. He's been dead for 25 years. And I said, you know, I'm sorry I held a grudge towards you. Mm. I'm sorry I had a chip on my shoulder towards you because uh, you really did the best you could. 
And that is an important process, whether the person is still alive that you do it in person or whether you do it the way that you did. And I've done the same thing with people who are no longer with us, but the act of forgiving is not about the other person. It's about creating more peace for yourself. And I love that quote, along with the plethora of other quotes that I got from you today. This has been so amazing. I'd love to continue talking for several more hours, but I know you have some other interviews to go on. Thank you so much for your time today. And everyone, I'm sure you're going to love this. Make sure to share it. And we would love to have you rate it because I am certain that you've all walked away just a little bit better today, which was our goal, wasn't it, Mark? And in the words of Jack Nicholson to Helen Hunt in As Good As It Gets, you make me want to be a better man. <laughs> That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you.